Welcome to Understand Murdoch, a podcast from The Post and Courier, South Carolina's largest newspaper. Our award-winning reporters have spent more than a year digging into the Murdoch saga to bring you the latest news and in-depth analysis as we covered the story of drugs, deceit, and death in South Carolina's rural low country. And now we're here to provide quick daily updates on Alec Murdoch's highly anticipated double murder trial in Colleton County. Hello, welcome to Understand Murdoch. My name is Nathan. Jocelyn, let's get right to it. A panel of 12 jurors found Alec Murdoch guilty today of murdering his wife, Maggie, and his youngest son, Paul. Yeah, they delivered their verdict around 6.45 p.m. after deliberating for about three hours. But before that, defense attorneys had a chance to present their closing argument and prosecutors gave a a rebuttal. We're going to focus today's episode on that and we'll break down the verdict and sentencing tomorrow. So can you take us back in time and walk us through what happened before 4 p.m.? Sure. So Jim Griffin delivered the defense's closing. He started by broadly outlining the jury's duties, reminding them that they took an oath swearing to presume Alec innocent unless and until state prosecutors prove his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And he explained that that's a heavy burden the government bears. If any of the evidence that's been presented causes even one of the 12 jurors to hesitate in finding Alec guilty, the law requires them to find him not guilty. Right, because a guilty verdict means the jurors unanimously voted to convict Alec. That's right. Then Griffin transitioned into explaining the elements of this particular case. He focused much of his argument on explaining how investigators with the state law enforcement division had zeroed in on Alec as their one and only suspect from as early as June 8, 2021, the day after the killings. Griffin said Alec was in their investigative circle from that day forward, and that meant he was at the mercy of Sled's ability to take him out of that circle. Hmm, Okay, that's an interesting way of framing it. Yeah, and it helped Griffin easily transition into explaining one of Alec's most compelling defenses, which is the apparent missteps of Sled in their double homicide investigation. And Griffin did not hold back in his criticisms of SLED. He said they had failed miserably in investigating this case. And had they done a competent job, Griffin said Alec would have been excluded from that investigative circle a year ago. Did Griffin offer any specifics of the missteps? Oh, yeah. Multiple witnesses have testified about their concern that the crime scene wasn't properly preserved. Griffin referenced sets of tire tracks that some witnesses saw at the scene, but no one ever photographed. He mentioned one Colleton County deputy had found hair in Maggie's hands, but there was no evidence it ever got tested to see who it may have belonged to. Sled agents didn't lift fingerprints or take proper footwear impressions in and around the feed room where Paul was killed, and they never took DNA samples from Maggie or Paul's clothing. Griffin said sled agents didn't preserve Maggie's phone the right way and that this caused crucial GPS data from the day of the killings to disappear. I know prosecutors spoke at length about the financial crimes Alec has also been charged with. Did Griffin address this at all? He did. He actually said the events of early September 2021, which was when Alec's drug problem and financial misconduct were exposed, are 
What made Alec this easy target for SLED in their double homicide investigation? And what do you mean by that? Well, Griffin accused SLED of fabricating evidence against Alec in a desperate attempt to mold him into their suspect. He mentioned how SLED had created a report stating Alec's white t-shirt at the crime scene was covered in high-velocity blood spatter but a different SLED agent performed a separate confirmatory test that found no trace of blood anywhere on the shirt. And when SLED agents realized this, only weeks before the trial began, prosecutors rushed to change their theory, according to Griffith. So instead of painting Alec as being covered in blood, prosecutors went to great pains to show how clean he was at the crime scene, according to Griffith. Did Griffin mention any other fabrications? Yes, he talked about the blue rain jacket found in Alec's parents' house. The inside had tested positive for gunshot residue, and his mother's caretaker testified she had seen Alec carrying a blue bundle into the house early one morning after the killings. Prosecutors believe Alec used the jacket to stash the murder weapons, right? That's right. But Griffin reminded jurors that the caretaker, Shelley Smith, didn't tell law enforcement officers about what she had seen until nine months after the killings. And Shelley seemed to waffle on the stand about whether she'd seen Alec with a tarp or a raincoat. Griffin said the jacket has never been definitively connected to Alec. None of his DNA was ever found on it. He said that all prosecutors really have in their case against Alec is the fact that he had lied about being down at the kennels with Maggie and Paul the night they died. And how did Griffin address that? Well, he reminded them Alec admitted he had lied. And Griffin said addicts lie and that Alec also had a closet full of skeletons he didn't want uncovered. Griffin played the video that Paul had filmed down at the kennels, which places Alec at the crime scene. But Griffin stressed how relaxed and jovial the family sounded. He told jurors that the state wants them to believe four minutes after this video ends, Alec all of a sudden got up, grabbed two different guns, and brutally killed his wife and son. And then he would have had to make bloody clothing and bloody guns disappear in an extremely tight time frame. I know lead prosecutor Creighton Waters made a big deal of what they believe is Alec's motive in the killings. Did Griffin speak about this? Yeah, he did. He summed up the state's theory as Alec deciding to kill his wife and son because his financial house of cards was at risk of collapsing and he faced exposure. And Griffin called it the most illogical thing imaginable. He reminded jurors of all the witnesses who had testified about Alec's wonderful, loving relationships with Maggie and Paul. Prosecutors also focused on how Alec had often provided wrong time estimates about the day and the night of the killings. Did Griffin address that? Yes, he pushed back, saying these are mistakes everyone makes from time to time. And he specifically addressed the 19-second gap between when Alec arrived at the kennels and when he dialed 911. Alec had offered different stories to both first responders and some of his ex-law firm partners about whether he'd checked Maggie and Paul before or during his call for help. Prosecutors have said it wouldn't be possible for Alec to check them both for pulses and try turning Paul over in such a short time frame, and they suggested he already knew their bodies were going to be there. 
But Griffin asked jurors if Ellick misremembering this detail was evidence of his guilt or evidence of trauma. All right. So if you had to sum up the defense's argument in a couple of sentences, what would that be? Well, luckily, Griffin did that pretty nicely for us toward the end. He said prosecutors failed to provide a satisfactory answer as to why Ellick would kill Maggie and Paul and that they ultimately couldn't, because Ellick would not, under any circumstances, kill the ones closest to him. And Griffin said the state manipulated evidence to fit its theories of guilt, which changed over time in the absence of forensic evidence, a reliable investigation, the murder weapons, and blood spatter. Okay, after all that, prosecutors had one last chance to address the defense's argument and deliver a rebuttal. I'm sure it was getting to be a bit repetitive at this point. Can you quickly sum that up for us? Sure. So prosecutor John Metters gave the rebuttal, and he was actually a relatively new addition to the team. He wasn't hired until weeks before the trial began, but he's a veteran homicide prosecutor who's secured convictions in dozens of murder trials. And he also has this very folksy, engaging, friendly demeanor, and I think his delivery proved quite effective with the jurors. And Metter's main role was to walk them one last time through all the evidence prosecutors had presented throughout the trial. He encouraged them at the beginning of his argument to use their common sense. He said that they'd been learning all their lives how to evaluate people and decide what's credible and what's believable. And at the end of the day, that's ultimately what this trial comes down to. What do you mean? Well, remember prosecutors brought only circumstantial evidence in the case. So Metters told jurors that this circumstantial evidence can become direct evidence if jurors use their common sense and just think about what actually makes sense in a real-life scenario. Can you give a few examples of this kind of evidence? Sure. So, for instance, Alec took a rare late-night trip to Almeida to see his mother and stopped near the property's smokehouse for a few minutes. That's where he hid the murder weapons, according to Metters. Two witnesses testified Maggie had wanted to go back to the Edisto Beach House the night of the killings, but Alec had asked her to come back to Moselle instead. We know he changed outfits at least once that day, thanks to a Snapchat video recorded on Paul's phone. And common sense should tell jurors that Alec couldn't have been taking the number of opioid pills he said he was because he'd be dead, according to Metters. But the one thing common sense doesn't explain is why Alec chose to leave Moselle through its main gates instead of by the kennels where he knew Maggie was and that she also wasn't answering her phone. Metters asked jurors, why wouldn't Alec have just driven by and checked on her before leaving for Almeida? And how did Metters end his rebuttal? He painted Alec as a narcissist. He said he believes Alec loved Maggie and Paul, but that he loves himself more. Jocelyn, I know we talked about it at the beginning, but jurors ultimately returned a verdict today. We're going to wait until our episode tomorrow to break that down, as well as Alec's sentencing hearing. Yeah, I believe some people may choose to speak at the hearing about what they think Alec's sentence should be. Jocelyn, thank you so much as always. Thanks, Nathan. For more in-depth coverage of this trial, as well as the latest news on the Murdoch story at large, stay tuned to postandcourier.com slash Murdoch. 
You can find us on Twitter at Post and Courier.